Well, good morning, Heart of the Canyons. Have I told you lately that I love you? I do. I was telling Philip, men go on the front row over here. I just love this church. And um, I really do. Um, and to hear us worship together is absolutely amazing. Uh, you imagine, uh, you know, this is just a glimpse of heaven. And, uh, but man, just to, to be able to worship is so amazing. Um, and, you know, I, I, it prepares me, uh, my heart, because at the end of the day, this really isn't about any one of us. How many of you knew that? You know, somebody came to me one time, so I didn't like the worship today. So that's fine. It wasn't for you. <laughs> now, I don't mean it didn't involve you, but, um, you know, I just, uh, I just enjoy being able to worship. And uh, we're so blessed, uh, we really are, to be able to gather, to sing and celebrate and to open God's word together. And it's all worship. It's not like the music worship and then we slip into the boring part, right? This is not the boring part, correct? Some of you looked at me like it's not. It really isn't. And, um, but I just, uh, I just thoroughly enjoy being able to stand here on the front row and just worship and means a lot to me. And that last song really captured my heart this morning because we're going to be talking about honoring the name we claim. Honoring the name we claim. And uh, as, uh, as always, when we enter into a series like this, um, I, always entering, I enter into it because you need it. And then as I go through it, I realize that I probably need it more than anybody in the building. And um, one man said, witnessing is one beggar telling another beggar where to find some bread. And, uh, you know, this is uh, so important to me. And so, but I want to get through our material pretty quickly this morning because our kids are going to be leaving in just a little while for youth camp. And I want us to pray for them before they leave, which they leave at noon, which means... I've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. So we're going to walk through some things pretty quickly this morning. But we wanted to pray for our kids and for the counselors. Those are going to be going with them uh, before they go this morning. And so I want to get in this stuff pretty quickly. Well, we're looking at the Ten Commandments. And we've looked at really three. We've actually looked at the first two. And um, commandment number one was basically you're not to worship false gods. Now, why is it crazy to worship false gods? Because they're not gods. Okay? So you've chosen to worship something that's not God. Now, you can make it a god. You can create it and form it. You can establish it and give it the role of God in your life. But it's not God. Only God is God. Amen? And there's no other name. There's no God but God. And so in commandment one, we're told that we're not to worship false gods. Commandment two, we're not to worship the true God in false ways. We're not to worship the true God in false ways. The issue with the Israelites was not that they didn't believe in God. The problem is they kept adding things to him that were not true of him. And so they were forming things, sometimes even thinking somehow they were uh, honoring the Lord, but they weren't because you don't honor God by establishing things yourself 
Uh, you honor God by honoring him is what you do. And so idolatry ends up being not just people worshiping false gods, but it's us accepting anything true of God that is less than true of what he has said about himself. We talked about this last week. We all like the attributes of God that make us feel good. We like the love of God and the peace of God and we like joy and we like, uh, you know, mercy and we like grace and we like all of those kinds of things and we should like those things. Those are very important things. But sometimes what we do is we neglect the other side of God that is equally true, not because I say it's true, because he said it was true of himself. God is a God of justice. God is a God of wrath. Do you know God gets angry? And, and what happens, particularly in sometimes our public display of God, our de public declaration of God, we will talk about the things we think people want to hear, but we don't talk about the other side. And to some degree, when you diminish God, you make an idol. When you say more than maybe God has said about himself, if, if you can actually do that, you're doing the same thing. So we, we're to have no other gods before God, and we're not to worship God in false ways. Today, we're going to consider the third commandment. It's found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. In fact, I want us to read it aloud together this morning because I think it's a very important commandment. It's one you'll all relate to because you've all been told you are not to take God's name in vain, right? We've all heard that, right? So let's read it aloud together, and then we'll come back and look at some deeper meaning in this particular verse of Scripture. So let's read it aloud together, Exodus 20, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Commandment three is simply this. You are to worship God thoughtfully and carefully. When you worship God, you're to worship God thoughtfully. In other words, you need to actually engage your brain when you worship God. So you need to, you need to worship God thoughtfully and you need to worship God carefully. You need to do those two things. See, worship is an absolutely powerful, powerful weapon. And while it is ultimately essential that the true God is our only object of worship, it is easy to become so immersed and comfortable in our understanding of God, we can begin to take the God of the universe for granted and his name becomes a tag word we use instead of a name that we fear and we revere. We fear and we revere. You see, names matter. Your name matters, doesn't it? Names matter. They give us some sense of identity. Now, our names matter less than God's because nobody named God. Nobody named God. It's so important that when Jesus taught us how to pray, pray in Matthew 6, verse 7 through 9, he said, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And then he says, pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
Hallowed be your name. Now the word hallowed means to separate from unclean things. That's what it literally means, to separate from unclean things. That's actually the word hagiadzo. In other words, the first step in effective prayer is to remove any and all corrupt ideas of God from your heart and mind. How can we do that? We do that by building our view of God on what he has revealed of himself rather than what some other source has told us. You see, what is only true of God is what God has said is true of himself. Um, do you remember uh, in earlier in, in, in Exodus, in fact, early in Exodus, God uh, speaks to God to... God speaks to Moses through a burning bush. You guys all remember that story, right? You do remember that story? And in the conversation, God calls Moses to go back to Egypt and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Let my people go. And uh, Moses knows that uh, those, are not, those words are not going to be taken real kindly. Not real kindly. And um, so Moses says, look, <laughs> and if I walk in and tell him, I'm telling you, let, the, let my people go, it's, it's not going to go over real well. And I don't know if this is exactly how the conversation went, but I can imagine, you know. And so he says, uh, uh, who do I tell them sent me? And he said, look, Moses, tell them I am has sent you. And then he says, um, my name is I am. It's the word uh, from which we get our word Jehovah. It's an interesting concept. What he was saying in the text basically is this. I am means that he does not depend on anyone else for his existence, unlike everything else you see. Unlike everything else you see. You see... An effective relationship with God begins with a correct view of God and a deep respect for God. Never use God's name in vain or empty. The word vain literally means empty or void. Never use God's name in vain or empty ways. So how do we do that? Well, let me give you four things this morning that I think will help us honor God's name Four thoughts to think about as we think about how we as individuals who believe in God honor the name of God. We honor God's name. The first one is simply this. Be committed when you make commitments in his name. How many of you have ever made a commitment to God? Okay. Man, I've got some evangelism to do this morning. Some of you need to get saved today. If you're saved today, you made a commitment to God, okay? How many have discovered that making commitments is easy, keeping them is difficult? Now, everybody raised their hand on that one. I, <laughs> how many of you are married? You understand that question, right? How many, of you have made a, how many of you made a commitment to have kids? How many have found it's hard to keep them? No, that's why we're sending them to camp this week, right? Um... <laughs> Thank you for your honesty this morning. We make commitments to God, but the point is this. A commitment we make to God, if we don't keep the commitments we make in his name, to some degree, we are using his God, God's name in vain ways. That's why at Heart of the Canyons, we believe that authentic faith 
is built on core commitments. We've taught this for how many years now? We've we've said there are seven core commitments that we try to help you uh, capture and master for the rest of your life. Seven core commitments. And we ask you to make these commitments. Now, we don't pile it all on you at one time. We give it to you a little bit at a time. But we want you to know that as a a, a person who's going to grow in their faith, the way you're going to grow in your faith is not just to make a one-time commitment and stop there, but to make a covenant or commitment to God and to build on that commitment to make another commitment and then another one. And and basically, they're, they're real simple. The first commitment we believe you have to make to really be a follower of God is that you have to make a commitment to Christ. In other words, you have to acknowledge all that God has done for you in the person of Jesus Christ and you believe so much in what Jesus did for you that you're willing to commit your life to him because he committed his life to you. Now, I know it always begins with God and frankly, I can't be committed to God until I recognize how deeply committed he was to me. But when I recognize that, there's a point in my life when the Holy Spirit works in my heart and he leads me to make a commitment to surrender my life to him. But we don't just stop there. We just don't want you to make a commitment to Christ. We ask you to make a commitment to to the church. We ask you to make a commitment to the family of God. We believe, and I really believe this, that if, if you don't find yourself connected into a family, you're like a spiritual orphan. And you need a spiritual family. That's why we ask you to make a commitment to Christ and the church. But we don't just stop there because there's more than that. Now you need to build into your life the habits, the habits that are necessary for you to grow as a Christian. When you had kids, when you had children, you, you didn't, I mean, they were born into your family. But at some point, you realize you got, you got to build into their lives the habits that are necessary because one of these days, you don't want them to depend on you anymore. You want them to like you. But you raise them up. That's the goal of parenting. And so there, there are three basic commitments or habits that we try to help people make in this church. These are covenants, a, com- a covenant or a commitment to a daily time with God through Bible study and prayer. In other words, you need to start feeding yourself on the word. Let me tell you something. If the only food you get is what you come here to get on Sunday morning, you are probably spiritually depraved. Deprived. And depraved. <laughs> See, you got, you got, how many of you would, would, would like it if we just had one big Sunday dinner a week and then we didn't eat for the rest of the week? Anybody in for that diet, diet program? Not me, Bubba. I like the three square meals a day. I like the new plan. You're supposed to eat six times a day. Of course, it's supposed to be smaller amounts, but, uh, you see, if you don't nourish yourself regularly, you're going to find yourself starving to death. And so commitment to Christ, church, daily time with God through Bible study and through prayer. A commitment to fellowship in a small group. We talk about small groups in this church often. And if you're not in a small group, you ought to get in a small group. I was talking to Mike Crawford a minute ago, and he was talking to me. He just got back from visiting Aaron at the church there in New Mexico. And he asked me how things were going, and he said, you know, they're going well in a lot of ways. He said, the one thing that I'm really grateful for is 80% of their church is currently in small groups. Isn't that awesome? So here's my deal. 
you need to get in a small group. Why? Because you need accountability. You need encouragement. You need the things in a small group. There are things you get in a small group that you're not going to get here. Where's my small group? Are you guys here this morning? I want to see if y'all are here this morning. Who's not, who's not here this morning? I want to see who's not here too. All right, you guys are here? My small group. Okay, here, here's the deal. You guys are my small group. Do you know that one of the things I look forward to most every, every week is Monday evening. That's when my small group meets. Now, don't everybody come. It won't be a small group anymore. And I get encouraged by that. We laugh. We pray. We study. We tell jokes. We all do, we all do, do all sorts of crazy things. But we need fellowship and small group. Stewardship. Stewardship is learning how to use the time, talents, and treasures that God has entrusted to us. I'm going to go through the rest of these quickly. Then you need ministry. You need to be involved in the ministry of the church. Ministry is where you flex the muscles. It's where you, you, you work out your salvation to some degree with fear and trembling. And you need to be involved in a ministry. You need to find a place where you're exercising your gifts and abilities as it relates to the body of Christ. I was talking to our Sunday school group this morning. You know, they're over there teaching this morning, and I said, wouldn't it be neat if we had more volunteers for children's ministry than we knew what to do with? Because we believe that investing in our kids really does matter. But it comes because people want to use what are gifts and abilities, whatever skills God's given to them, to build up the body of Christ. Now, not, please hear me, not everybody belongs in the children's department. There's some of you, I don't, I mean, there's nothing wrong with you, but you just, you don't like kids. Anybody here just doesn't like kids? Don't raise your hand, okay? I saw that hand back there, <laughs> you know? But there's a place for you. Everybody finds a place. Everybody's somebody in God's body. Every one of us belongs in the body of Christ. And then we need to make a commitment to be on mission with God in this world. Have you guys noticed the world's falling apart? And we're trying to politically fix it. It's not going to happen. I hate to burst your bubble. There's a lot of things coming up this fall. We got some exciting plans. Gridiron Grub starts in a few weeks. You can get involved in encouraging some junior college football players. I look forward to this. So I'm, I'm getting so excited football season's coming back. I'm tired of sports where they can play every day and not be sore. <laughs> they only play one game a week in football because when that game's over, you're just beat up. Uh, we're, we're looking at some stuff. Jim and I have been talking. We're looking at the giving Thanksgiving thing. We're going to do a lot different because we're not going to have a big event and invite people from all over the world. But we're talking about... Uh, helping you um, adopt a family to some degree and by basically, we think Thanksgiving ought to be a family event, not a community event. So we just want to provide a turkey and the fixings for a uh, hundred families. Now here's the difference. In the past, you could pay that and we'd do all the work. This time, you're not only gonna pay for the uh, food, we're gonna equip you to take it to the family and just say, look, we just wanted you to know that we, Jesus loves you, we care about you, and we want you to enjoy Thanksgiving with your family. There are ways for us to get involved, guys. 
junior high picks up here in just a few weeks. We're going to be feeding teachers right over here. There's so many ways that we can get involved. We ought to be a mission with God in the world. Now, here's the deal. We don't ask people to make these commitments because we think you need something else to do. Most of you are pretty busy, but we believe you ought to take what you're doing and build commitment to Christ in what you're doing. Now, there's a reason we don't always keep commitments. One of them is because commitment, by its very nature, attracts resistance. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that, every, you know, it's easy to work out until you make a decision to work out? You know, it's kind of like, it's like I said last week, my doctor said, do you run now? And I said, I thought about it, and I laid down and got over it. <laughs> it attracts resistance. When you make a commitment to do something, you're going to find that there's resistance that comes back the other way. Here's another reason. Um, because commitment requires cost. There's a cost. But rest assured of this, if you make a legitimate commitment in God's name, God expects you to keep it. Um, now, some of you, I can hear you right now, well, I tried and it didn't work. Well, let me tell you something. It's called a commitment, not a trial. Test driving a car is not buying a car. The Bible actually says that it's better to say no and not do it than to say yes and do it. Again, Matthew 5, Jesus said again, you have heard it said of those old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn to him. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black, lest you have kids, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes to evil. In other words, be real, real careful with the commitments you make because when you make a commitment, God expects you to keep it. Above all else, James 5.12 says, My brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or any other oath. Let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. When we make commitments according to the word of God, Based on the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I want you to hear that. When we make commitment according to the word of God and based on the Lordship of Christ and then fail to keep those commitments, the Bible says to some degree we're taking God's name in vain. Number two, be cautious when you speak for his name. When you speak for his name. This one is used often in our attempts to get our way with people. Have you ever heard people say these words? God told me. Have you ever heard those words? God told me. Um, the, the Israelites had figured out that the name of God was a very powerful name. And so they would employ the name of God to, to manipulate things and get what they wanted. And when that was happening, over in the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, he warns them. He says, you shall not swear by my name falsely. And so profane the name of your God. And then he says, I am the Lord. In other words, what he's saying is don't use my name to manipulate people to get your way. God told me generally, and when people use those words, generally it is an attempt on their part to shut you down if there's an argument or a disagreement or to ma manipulate you into doing something you don't want to do. God told me. 
Um, that is not to say that God doesn't put impressions on our hearts at times. But be really, really careful. Because here's the deal. If you're using God's name to manipulate or control or shut down, you are using God's name in vain. Matthew 7, you're going to find it later in your outline. I put it in the wrong place, so you'll forgive me. Matthew 7, Jesus said on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, and did we not prophesy in your name? cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Be very, very cautious when we use God's name. But caution to speak inappropriately should never silence us from speaking the name of God. Number three is we need to be eager to speak his name. I mean, I, I admit, I need to be cautious when I choose to speak for God, but I need to be eager when, when opportunity arises for me to speak his name. While it is wise to be cautious, it is equally unwise to be silent about his name. What do you say when people thank you for things that you do for them? And you do it in the name of Jesus. Ever been, anybody ever said something to you? They, you do something nice for them. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. And, and, and uh, you, know, you know, you did it for Jesus. And so you want to be real careful because, you know, it's, you don't want to, well, just thank Jesus. I mean, you know, but at the same time, we've got to remember that what we do as followers of Christ, we do for the glory of God. We do it for God's benefit, not for ours. And so when you give a cup of water, according to the scriptures, when you give a cup of water, what do you do? You give it in whose name? You give it in the name of Christ. You're a disciple of Christ. So you recognize that, as I said earlier, you're one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. And so somehow you need to figure out how to very graciously and not being over, overly spiritual, just gradually move the attention away from you so that you're giving the glory to God. And this is so very, very important, very important. Psalm 29.2 says, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Psalm 96.8 says, ascribe, in other words, attribute to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Uh, 1 Chronicles 16.29 says, ascribe, attribute to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Now, what does that mean? It means whatever we do, we're doing as an act of worship to God. And so whether you're, you're, you're greeting outside or, or, or you're ushering inside or you're, you're singing on the stage or you're teaching in the children's department or you're providing meals to people who are in difficult circumstances, whatever you do, the Bible says you do it as unto the Lord. You don't have to say anything. People know. And somehow you just deflect any credit And make sure God gets the glory. Now, let me tell you where I, I see this more often. I know that this isn't true in my life. When, when sometimes somebody brags on somebody else, 
And it makes me feel bad and angry and upset. See, whatever we do, we're to do is under the Lord. What would happen? I mean, what would honestly happen if next Sunday when we walked in here, we all walked in here and said, we have one, one thing we want to do today, whether it's setting up and tearing down, whether it's people greeting out in front or ushering in here or singing on a stage or teaching in a children's department. What would happen if every, or when we sing songs, what would happen if everybody just said, okay, today all the glory goes to God. All the glory goes to God. You know what? I think God would manifest himself in very unique ways. And so we need to be eager to speak his name. Um, let's look at the last one because I need to get done here so we can pray for these kids. Number four is be clearly affected by the sound of his name. Honoring God's name is vital in differentiating between using and glorifying God's name. People use God's name for personal attention, but only when you've been radically changed by Jesus do you use his name for his glory. Jesus, when dealing with self-seeking religious leaders, says, These people honored me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You see... I, 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 this is something very convicting to me this week. I think often we hear the name of God so much that we don't hear it anymore. I mean, let me ask you a question. When, when, um, when people use the name Jesus around you, does it stir anything in you? Really? Or when people talk about God... Is there a sense of reverence? Is there a sense of awe when you hear God's name? Or can we just live in a culture where we've heard it so much that we really don't think about it? Let me illustrate it this way. Um, um, I have a cell phone somewhere right here. And there's a lot of names registered in here. A lot of your names. And uh, when, when my phone rings, uh, if, if, if I saved you, <laughs> that's a joke, by the way. If you've been saved in here, your name shows up, okay? And sometimes my phone rings and just a number comes up. If I haven't saved you in here, I ain't answering your phone call because I think you're a salesperson, <laughs> right? Now, you may be very valuable, you're not valuable to me at that moment. Now, if, if, if uh, many of you call me and I'm in the middle of something, I've got something going on, if you call me, um, I may say, okay, I'll get back to Jim Gustin. Or I'll get back to Dave. But if Carol calls me, I better answer, right? <laughs> no. I want to answer. If Nathan calls, you know, I'll stop a meeting if my wife or my children call or my brother calls. Because generally when my brother calls somewhere in 2, 2, 3 in the afternoon, I know when he calls, I get to talk to my daddy. 
Now, don't be offended if you're not on the top call list. Okay? Okay. Why? Because when those names come up, they say something very loud to me. They stir me. There's something in them. I mean, there's an eagerness on my part. Why don't we feel that when God calls? I mean, why is it that when God calls us and when we open the word of God and we read the word of God, that it doesn't resonate with our heart? Man, we're just eager to hear what he has to say. And you know what? I really believe that one of the greatest vanities or vain ways that we take the name of the Lord God in vain is that when God's name is spoken, it doesn't stir an emotion in us. It causes us... A little static. And I encourage you this morning to think about the name that's above every name. 